to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Well, welcome to another Friday, everybody. Let's get right into it. First of all, a few stories, as you might expect. Um, a lot of just total insanity within K-12 schools here. And again, a lot of it is beyond predictable because they've clearly shown that there's no level they won't drop to in order to accomplish whatever it is that they want to accomplish. Again, whether it's child abuse or a perversion of some sort, whatever. But um, that's all going to be highlighted in this particular episode. A few headlines here and a couple of things I want to dive into a little more specifically. First of all, not only does the governor of New York want to keep children in masks as the citizens apparently don't have to wear them anymore in indoor settings, because the mask mandate has been lifted. But of course, the mayor of New York is interested in a plant-based food, so to speak, or plant-based slop, as the pictures have indicated, for New York City school children. So there's that. Again, can't think of another reason to leave. How about the prison-like food within the prison-like school system of New York City? So, fantastic. I'm kidding, of course, but that's really happening and it's terrible. Uh, Here's the next thing. This comes from The Blaze, and it's titled, Rhode Island Private School Asks Students to Not Give Out Valentines Featuring Only White Human Characters, quote-unquote. The attack on white people continues, ladies and gentlemen. It says, quote, a private school in Providence, Rhode Island, recommended that students avoid giving their peers Valentine's Day cards that portray only white people, according to the National Pulse. In a letter to students and parents, Osvaldo Jose Marte, if that's his real name, Head of the Moses Brown Lower School said, quote, As we approach the month of February, we are writing to share some guidelines for the selection and exchange of Valentines in the lower school. If your child wishes to bring cards for classmates, please consider these recommendations, which we make in an effort to promote kindness and inclusivity within our community. <laughs> My God. Leftist lingo is just incredible, is it not? I mean, they really lay it on thick. They really do. It says, quote, Please coach your child if purchasing commercially produced cards to select something that does not feel gender normative. The letter said, Also, consider taking your child, talking to your child, rather, about avoiding cards that portray only white human characters. Representation matters, and our students of color also deserve to see themselves in some of the cards they receive, unless they find cards without people pictured at all. Okay, I'm going to break this down very quickly because it doesn't require much analysis. First of all, public schools that do activities like this are complete trash. That's number one. Number two, why on earth are Valentine's Day activities even taking place in a school? Why is that even a thing? Why is that still a thing? Why are, why are students still walking around engaging in what's clearly these bullshit popularity contests where they're diminishing one another, dividing one another um, in, in sharing cards and candy and XYZ? It's the dumbest activity that's ever existed in schools as far as I'm concerned. It's old. It's ancient. It has no place. This is a perfect day to take your child out of school if you're still sending them. God knows why at this point, but take them out of school on on days like this when, when stupid activities are taking place. And again, as I've highlighted numerous times in the past, if the administration is dumb enough to put their thoughts on a piece of paper and send that piece of paper home for... The entire public to see, and then of course news outlets like the like Blaze, like the Blaze, to highlight their own stupidity. I mean, that right there should show everyone that if it makes the national news like this, it's not a good thing. They're an embarrassment, and they're embarrassing themselves. And it's pretty clear that that's the case. I'm not going to read any more of that particular story because, again, all of that goes without saying that uh, they've lost the plot. They've just lost the plot. 
Here's the next one. This comes from Big League Politics. This is, a, this is an interesting one. And again, it highlights the hypocrisy of, of these institutions. But it's titled, 70, 73 Confederate statues were removed or renamed in 2021. And this is just from a few days ago. This is according to a new report by the Southern Poverty Law Center. 73 Confederate statues were removed or renamed over the course of 2021. This removal of American history didn't come out of nowhere. It was largely motivated by the surge in protests and riots that followed the death of George Floyd in the summer of 2020. Monument removals have been taking place over the last few decades. However, notable events like the death of Floyd apparently accelerated this trend due to the media-driven perception that Floyd's death had racist implications. A new campaign against Confederate monuments kicked off. Here's the abomination with this, and there are numerous, but the major one is the following. This is always, has always been, and will always be the typical Marxist playbook and play in that playbook. The removal of accurate history, or any history, or any interest in history. I mean, again, heaven forbid that a child, or a minor, or anyone, even an adult, look at one of these statues of a Confederate soldier, general, figure, political figure, what have you, and they actually look up their real history. I'll give you one to look up. It's absolutely fascinating. There's an old video, or there's a, there's a video of a, a historian. He knows his stuff, too, but he's describing and showing slides describing the life of General Robert E. Lee after the Civil War. It's about an hour long, and it's some of the most interesting stuff that, that you'll find. Again, the removal of statues, in particular statues of Robert E. Lee, would drive that historian absolutely insane. I mean, clearly he would hate it, and rightfully so, because th we're, we're talking about American history. You can't remove American history and just pick and choose what you like. It doesn't work that way. But the plot of the Marxist is to do just that. It's to remove anything and everything that they detest so that they can insert whatever it is that they're interested in. And as you're going to find out here with this next story, this is exactly what they're interested in. This comes from the Daily Mail, and it's titled, Eighth Graders Are Given Assignment to Use Pizza Toppings as Metaphors for Sex Acts, Including Olives Equals Giving Oral. Now, here's the thing. It has been F FBI unclassified information or declassified information that food lingo, in particular references to pizza, are all sexually related, in particular regarding children. Whether it be pizza, pizza toppings, hot dogs, hamburgers, cheese, you name it. All of those names are code for certain sexual proclivities or uh, sexual preferences based on gender, whatever it may be. Again, this is not an accident that this took place. The individuals that were responsible for this knew exactly what they were doing. And again, they're highlighting their own perversions in what they're claiming, of course, was a mistake of an assignment. Nothing, th th there's nothing about this that's a mistake. So here are the bullet points at the top. I'm going to read through it, and then I'm going to read the actual document itself. Uh, the bullet points read as such. Eighth graders at John F. Kennedy Middle School in Enfield, Connecticut, received a pizza and consent assignment. It's titled Pizza and Consent. Think about that. It says it asked the students to list their favorite pizza toppings and use those as a metaphor for their favorite sexual acts. The assignment was quickly deleted from the Enfield School District website, but frustrated parents lashed out at the Board of Education for the inappropriate material, and school officials are now saying the assignment was sent out in error. No, no, none of this was an error, and it was even on their own website, so yeah, let that sink in. It says again, a Connecticut school is under fire for sending 8th graders an assignment asking them to compare their favorite and least favorite pizza toppings to their sexual preferences is now calling it a mistake. Not a mistake. 
says, quote, we, we can use pizza as a metaphor for sex, the assignment says, explaining when you order pizza with your friends, everyone checks in about each other's preferences, right? The same goes with sex. This is a horrible and stupid comparison. It's absolutely embarrassing. Here's what the document reads. The first page, it says pizza and consent, and then it has pictures of different kinds of pizza at the top. Ridiculous. It says consent is enthusiastic, fluid, respectful, and required. And then on the right side, it says what's pizza got to do with it? We can use pizza as a metaphor for sex. When you order pizza with your friends, everyone checks in about each other's preferences, right? Some people might be vegan. Some people might be gluten-free. Others might love pineapple, while others prefer pepperoni. Some might not like pizza at all. If you're a vegetarian, but your friend is a meat lover, sharing a pizza is going to bring up a lot of issues. You don't know who you can share pizza with unless you ask. Again. This is absolutely nuts. This is nuts. And this right here dives deeper into the frame of mind of the individual who actually read this and thought to themselves that this was a good instructional tool to making a comparison to sexual consent. Again, for those of us who are morally sound human beings, we know this is beyond common sense. But again, the individual who uses something like this, or even makes up some kind of, I mean, this isn't even an assignment. (laughs) I don't don't even know what this is. They're just living out their own sexual perversions among minors, which again, is breaking the rules of their own contractual obligations and the rights and responsibilities that they have to uphold as a result of holding a teaching certificate. I mean, people in Connecticut who have been teachers have lost their jobs for way less, including the, the, there's one particular teacher that I recall from a book that I, I read a long time ago. I can't even remember the name of it right now. Um, Cyber Traps, that's what it was. Cyber Traps for Educators. It's an excellent book because it does highlight all of the technology-based traps that exist for educators and how even if they don't do something wrong, they can still lose their job. So in this particular Connecticut teacher's case that's highlighted within this book, she was on her laptop computer and she had hooked up her own laptop computer to the wireless system of the school. She left the room, her classroom. She was the only one in her classroom when she left the room. She didn't lock the door. When she re-entered, there were two students at her personal computer and the internet was on, and there were pop-up ads for pornography showing up on her, on her laptop computer. She ran over. She closed the computer. She told the students to leave. The students reported it to their parents. The parents reported it to the administration, and she ended up losing her job. Again, not really her fault, because, again, the pop-up windows had nothing to do with anything she was searching. I think there was some discrepancy in whether or not the students themselves were actually searching anything. They could have been. I I don't recall the exact story. But the point was, is that because it was hooked up to the school's wireless internet, when she, or again, it was either her or or the two students, when they opened up the internet browser, there were some pop-up windows that showed up that apparently showed some pornographic images. Um... Not only did she lose her job, she lost her teaching license. So the point to be made here is basically this. The inconsistency exists across the board when it comes to individuals who are investigated and individuals who are not. Individuals who have the correct thing done to them and those that do not. Um, Discretion is used widely within the business of education and it's based on favoritism. That's really the simplest way that I can put it. Here's the last page of this particular assignment uh, titled Personal Pizza. And then I'm going to play the the audio from a concerned parent who's describing this exact uh, assignment along with a few other things. It says again, personal pizza in the upper left-hand corner. And it says, now that you know this metaphor for sex, 
Let's explore your preferences. Draw and color your favorite type of pizza. What's your favorite style of pizza? Your favorite toppings? What are you what are your pizza no-nos? Now mirror these preferences in relation to sex. Here are some examples. Likes. Cheese equals kissing. Dislikes. Olives equals giving oral. It actually says that. And then it says, obviously you might not be able to list all of your wants, desires, and boundaries, but hopefully you'll start feeling more comfortable about discussing them. For those of, for those of y'all, it says y'all, who don't like pizza or sex at all, feel free to draw out another food favorite or include non-sexual activities. I love it. So at the very end of the assignment, they basically say, if you don't want to do this, then you don't have to. Or just draw whatever you want on the inside of this pizza crust. This is so stupid, ladies and gentlemen. This is American K-12 public schools in a nutshell. This is them in a nutshell. So give this parent uh, a listen here. She's calling herself Amanda, and again, she's describing her disgust with this particular assignment, and rightfully so. The superintendent, by the way, his name is Christopher Drezek, and he reiterated on Tuesday that the assignment was sent to 8th graders by mistake. That's no mistake, ladies and gentlemen. That is a giant intentional. I would like to talk about education. I'm here to talk about how our kids are doing, how our staff is doing, and what we are doing to educate our children. These are direct quotes from the last Board of Education meeting. So, at the request of our superintendent and members of the board, I think we should talk about the academics tonight. Just last week, a school assignment in JFK labeled Pizza and Consent was sent out for students. What's pizza got to do with it, you wonder? We can use pizza as a metaphor for sex. Those are the first two lines of this assignment, which is centered around establishing consent and boundaries. Except for page two, where it takes it one step further and states, now that you know the metaphor for sex, let's explore your preference. Draw and color your favorite type of pizza. Mirror these preferences in relation to sex. Here are some examples. Likes. Cheese equals kissing. Dislikes. Olives equals giving oral. Since when has it become acceptable for a teacher to ask a student what their sexual wants, desires, and boundaries are? Maybe our board members would like to answer this assignment and share their thoughts, just like our eighth grade students were requested to do. No? Do you object and find it incredibly uncomfortable? When we reached out for clarification, we were informed that the incorrect version of this assignment was posted in the curriculum by mistake and inadvertently used for instruction in the classes. The coordinator claimed to have caught the error in June, but failed to post the edited version intended for instruction. Why didn't the teachers that taught this assignment catch it and question it? Did they just teach the curriculum blindly, not questioning the morality of assignments required for the unit? Why didn't our curriculum committee catch this? What is their role if not to oversee the curriculum and make sure that these types of mistakes don't end up homework for our children? What disciplinary action was taken against the curriculum coordinator? Whether this is the intended assignment or not, make no mistake, it was taught in our classrooms. When parents signed the consent form, were they explicitly informed of the parameters of such material? Before this became part of the apparent state curriculum, if a teacher pulled a student aside and asked these kinds of questions, they would be fired. But when you ask the class collectively as a group assignment, does it then make it okay? I'm directing these questions to our superintendent and the chair of the curriculum committee, and they are not rhetorical. This type of assignment, whether it was an accident or not, is absolutely unacceptable. So again, no one's going to get fired for this, I guarantee it. In fact, here's the explanation from the Health and Physical Education Coordinator. It says, uh, but school officials have said the assignment was sent out to middle school students in error, and even parents acknowledge that after it was published. The district's Health and Physical Education Coordinator emailed parents and apologized, quote, the incorrect version, as opposed to the revised version of the assignment, was mistakenly posted on our grade 8 curriculum page and was inadvertently used for instruction to grade 8 health classes. It continues and says, I caught the error after our curriculum revision in June, but failed to post the intended version. I own that and apologize for the error. Here's the alarming part. That was apparently still an assignment. Um, again, a revised addition to that? Who cares? The revised addition is equally as bad. In fact, they attempt to describe a little bit of it here. Uh, they say, she went on to explain that the correct version of the assignment would have students work in small groups to craft a pizza with toppings that would make everyone happy, comfortable, using nonverbal communication only. 
The students would then be asked to reflect and discuss how thoughts of feelings can be confusing or misconstrued if we rely on nonverbal cues communication alone. In the school board, at the school board meeting Tuesday, Superintendent Christopher Dresick again told parents it was inadvertently sent out to the 8th grade students. No, what this is, is, is it was intentionally sent out and purposefully existed in the past in order to fish for prey. That's what this is. It's a fishing expedition for vulnerable, naive children to be preyed upon. That was the motive. That's what this is. Again, whoever the person who wrote it should be found and fired. And again, this was existing on their entire district's website. They should be sued. This is a borderline sexual crime. You're talking, again, about minors coming in contact with, with pornographic material. That's a crime. But no one's going to get fired. Don't worry. They're probably handing out uh, Teacher of the Year awards right now as I speak. Pathetic. Okay, here's the next thing. Um, as we all know, there are numerous schools and parents who are approaching school board members within these school board meetings and serving them against their uh, serving them legal warnings and filing complaints and claims rather against their surety bonds and good faith and honesty policies, and they should do that. However. And this is a big but. In doing this and in holding these people accountable, which I, I, I know should happen, and we should never let people like this off the hook, all it's really doing is exposing how stupid and perverted these school board members are. They do not know the laws that they have to follow. They do not know what their oath of office really means. They think that it just means being a responsible person in their own head. As long as they mean no harm between their own ears and they can justify it for themselves, then they're doing exactly what they're contractually obligated to do by law. That's not what it means. That's not what an oath of office is. It's not your interpretation of what you think to be right. So there's a school district here, and I'm going to play this audio. And again, she does a great job, and then eventually they cut her mic. And I'm going to just pause it and describe a few other things that are taking place throughout here. but. The caption below this BitChute video says, Congratulations, Courtney Hayes and Kate Serino and all the parents who liberated 4,989 children after serving Dare County School Board in North Carolina with an intent to file a claim against their surety bond. Just after the meeting, the board voted to make masks optional. Keep going, patriots. It's time for all of us to do the same. Now, I, of course, did this, and it had no impact whatsoever. Doesn't mean it's not going to in the future. It probably will. Because, again, you just have to file these claims. Because much like, as even Steve mentioned in the previous uh, episode where he was on talking about bonds, it's basically like a drunk driver trying to get car insurance after seven DUIs. It's next to impossible. And these, these claims follow all of these individuals. So you file a, a claim against each and every individual separately and individually. You can do it as a full group if you want, but it's better to just do it individually because that's what these people are doing. These parents all at once, as she's talking at the lectern, they all walk up with a stack of, of actual claims individually and hand them directly to the individual board members. Now, what they should have done and they should do is they should then file those claims regardless of them making masks optional or not. They should still file the claims because those claims will stick with that individual, which means when that individual tries to get insured as an elected individual, either in their current position or in another position, they won't be able to. So, th I mean, that's really the motive here. The motive is, is you're you know, school board members don't have to have a teaching certificate, but they do have to have an insurance policy as an elected official. So once that happens, and of course they've taken an oath, and if they have claims filed against their oath of office, that sticks with them also. So other people are going to know 
And these insurance companies, of course, are going to know that those individuals have broken their oath of office in the past, which means most companies are going to stay away from these people. And they should. So my recommendation, again, is to do what they're doing. uh, And you're going to hear her talk about it. But again, what you can't see, but it's in the video, again, is they show up individually and they hand them. There's a couple other funny things that that happened in the video too, which I'll, I'll highlight here in just a second, but I'm going to start playing this right now. So give this a listen. Good evening. We have been patient for months. We have been gaveled, silenced, rudely admonished, sneered at, asked for our papers and threatened with arrest. We have been forced to mask our children against our will. Some of our children have been targeted and discriminated against. Your own FOIA emails illustrate elementary school administration conspiring against young children. We have witnessed the mental health decline in Dare County teenagers, many of them having their entire high school experience stolen. We listened when you admitted that masks are not being worn to prevent illness. We listened when you admitted that there was psychological harm being caused. And then we listen to you vote to continue it. We have been derided in the media by the superintendent, called conspiracy theorists, and falsely smeared as the cause of low teacher morale in Dare County. We have been locked out of online library catalogs and lectured about following policy 3210, even as dozens of books, obscene books, remain in Dare County school libraries. We have warned you about CT3 and CRT creeping into schools, and you have ignored us, despite TED Talks, Pew surveys, and News ELA articles which document its existence. After all, there's not a class called CRT 101, so it must not exist. We are done being patient. Tonight, you are being served with 28 letters of intent to file claims against your linebacker errors and omission liability policy. The letter details 26 state, federal, and international laws. I'm sorry, you you are violating. Okay, you can't. We are allowing you 10 business days to correct your lawlessness. Or. These claims will commence. I will remind you that each claim carries a $2,500 deductible. We are requiring the following. A thorough sweep and removal of all obscene material from school premises, including electronic access. Now, here's what's hilarious. They had it all coordinated and it was all perfect. Each parent walked up. They handed all of the forms to each individual person. So one parent handed it to one board member, turned around and then left. You heard the board member, the board president, he's going, you can't do this. You you can't come up here, blah, blah, blah. One of the women, female board members, gets out of her chair. She alerts the president that they're all walking toward, you know, their tables. She stands up. Uh, she she alerts the, the the board president that they're coming. She stands up out of her chair and starts to back away like she's being attacked. The woman's a lunatic. And then she sits back down with, with, with all of the papers there, all of the claims and the complaints and the laws that she's broken, and she pushes the entire stack of papers on the floor, on the on on the floor in front of her, off of the table. It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. That right there is a perfect snapshot of the kind of behavior that these school board members have when it comes to their own oaths and the laws that they have to follow. She just showed everybody, that particular board member, that she does not care about any of it, doesn't want to see the facts, doesn't want to know that they've broken the law, isn't interested in it whatsoever. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So I'm going to keep playing this here, and again, all the all the parents eventually walk away. Three or four cops show up, and they're just kind of wandering around, looking foolish as usual. And uh, and there you have it. So yeah, here's here's the rest of her comments. Stop all discussion or consideration of test to scale programs. You, you were asked not to or any other the, plans for on-site testing. You were asked not cease to distribute and documents. Cease here. all advertisement and coercion regarding COVID nineteen vaccinations. Halt all policies that require universal masking, masking without parental consent, or discrimination based on masking. End the unlawful quarantine of healthy children. 
Craft and pass policy to prohibit CRT in any form in Dare County schools. See Union County or Johnston County for policy template language. Return the 20% of ESSER 3 Thank funds. You, Thank you. Thank you. Hello? Hello? It's too good. It's too good. And again, you know, he bangs his little gavel and thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, blah, blah, blah. This is what happens. These people are stupid. They're stupid. They have no idea the power of the oath, that when you take an oath, the list of laws you have to follow is endless. They don't get to just spit their opinion day in and day out when they feel like it. They don't get to do that. They don't get to play medical doctor. They don't get to muzzle and deprive oxygen. They don't get to do these things because they feel it's right between their own ears. Big difference between feelings and facts. So good for them. It worked out for them. And again, they're still sending them, though, to the exact same abusive environment, which is where I, you know, that, for me, that's where the bullet hits the bone. That's the, that's the biggest problem for me. I'm glad that they're holding them legally accountable, and they should, but they should file those claims. They should file the claims against those individuals. They should pull their children out of school and then let the entire building collapse under its own illegality and its own lies. That's the only way that you actually fix these environments. It's the only way you get rid of the degeneracy, the CRT nonsense, the books, whatever it is. The pizza assignments. <laughs> I mean, my God. You can't, you know, you, you, you can't just keep going and expect the school teachers who are actually the ones dealing out this kind of information. Well, it's not even information. These kinds of uh, degenerate activities and, uh, and, and ridiculous curriculum to change. You can't expect them to change if, if you don't just leave. Because again, they take attendance on a day-in and day-out basis. And when students stop showing up, what will ultimately happen will end up being wire fraud because what will occur is they'll notice that all the students are gone and someone in some American school somewhere, an administrator, a teacher, whoever it will be, will fraudulently put in the names of the students as being present when in fact they are absent. And then, of course, that all has to go to the state. It has to go immediately to the district office, and then the district office has to send those numbers to the state. Someone will fudge those numbers. That's a huge crime. So what you're doing is, is you're taking criminals and you're backing them into a corner. When you do that, they will commit more crimes. It's inevitable. And that's ultimately where you catch them. Again, it's like backing any rabid animal into a corner. It doesn't mean they're going to stop biting you because you're backing them into a corner. They're going to bite you again, or they're going to try. That's when you catch them. So again, I applaud these people. Great job, but you got to bury the school permanently now. Just bury them. Okay, some good news before I get into some of the Oxford, Michigan shenanigans and play one more piece of audio from there. Here's some good news. Again, if you're going to have a school and you're really going to have physical education, why not have some gun training and some mark marksmanship? Am I right? This comes from WayneDupree.com. It's titled Internet Lights Up Over Mega Viral Photo of Wyoming Grade School Kids Learning Gun Safety. I love it. I love it. There was a time when this existed in American education, American K-12 education, and I think it needs to make a comeback. Uh, of course, homeschoolers do this all the time, I'm sure, and they should. Marksmanship matters, and we should teach gun safety, and uh, you know, it begins with pellet guns and BB guns and that fun stuff. So, let's see, blah, blah, blah. It says, the photo has spread like wildfire since being posted on Facebook, garnering 66,000 shares and over 6,000 comments as of Tuesday afternoon. The original posters have removed the photo, but as you know, the internet is forever. It says the comments were positive, but many people condemned teaching these kids about quote-unquote gun safety. And a lot of commentators said, training the next school shooter, quote-unquote. And then it says, good grief. It says, hours later, they removed the post, but we have a screenshot of the mega viral photo. It's awesome. You've got four students lying down, five students, my apologies, at least five. Uh, let's see, one, two, three, 
Yep, there's five targets, five students lying down on uh, yoga mats in pretty good, what I would say is pretty good rifle poses. I'd spread their legs apart a little bit more to give themselves a, you know, a, a more floor-like stance, so to speak. But uh, yeah, they've got pellet guns, which are rested on bags lying right in front of them with their scopes and the whole deal. And it's, it, again, this is being done inside of a gymnasium. Looks like they've got uh, plywood at the other end of the gym with five targets. Super cool. I love it. Here's a direct quote from the Washington Examiner. It says, A school district in Wyoming garnered international attention when it posted the picture of 5th and 6th graders during a gun safety lesson. Hot Springs County School District posted a picture to its Facebook page Wednesday of Brandon uh, Duramonde's physical education last names. I don't know what it is with me and last names. Physical education class armed with air rifles and safety goggles. In the photo, the children are lying down on yoga mats on the gym floor, aiming at plywood targets about 50 feet away. Their guns were braced on gym bags. The PE teacher's class was working on their marksmanship with air rifles, the caption read. All students passed their safety test and have been sharpening their skills, quote-unquote. The original post had a bunch of views, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this is fantastic. I'm a public school teacher and wish my school district would do this here in Pennsylvania. As a far firearms instructor outside of the school, I'd be willing to help teach this too, one comment read. Another comment said, more schools should be teaching gun safety. Maybe we'd have less accidents if more people had access to this, another user wrote. Another comment read, this is what every school should be doing, teaching gun safety and shooting fundamentals. Another one said, sounds like a great class, true skills for the future, great to see. While the majority of the comments were positive, some users were not so enthusiastic, like this one where it said, training the next school shooter young and providing the guns on campus, nice. It's an incomplete sentence too, so you know a leftist wrote it, and uh, yeah, no punctuation of any kind. So that another user commented that the course was literally raising possible school shooters. Hours later, the post had disappeared from the platform. Well, that's too bad. Either way, great job for the phys ed teacher. Awesome class. I'd love to participate. And that's exactly what used to happen in American schools. And of course, doesn't really happen much anymore, but clearly it does here, and I hope it continues. Now, I've got two more things here. This first thing comes from Jesse James. Uh, he, tossed, he tossed this my way from the Dangerous Info podcast, and it was an email that was apparently sent out to parents within the Donaldson Hills Elementary School in Waterford, Michigan. At the very top, um, there's a comment, and it says, Hi there. I live in Waterford, and tomorrow at Donaldson Hills Elementary, they are administering COVID-19 vaccines at school. I don't know how you feel about them, but just know that I also just got this alert from the school attached photo. And it says the following. And again, it's from the actual elementary school itself. It says, a message from Donaldson Hills Elementary School. Parents, Wednesday, February 9th, so of course two days ago. Uh, 2022 is our count day, quote unquote. Please have your child at school on time and in attendance all day. This is a very important for our district to have all students in every grade level accounted for. Thank you. Um, again, this is probably a twofold kind of thing. Yes, they do have count days for attendance where they want every single student who is a registered student to show up to a K-12 school so that they can basically get one solid number uh, for the record as to who is enrolled within that school and see if the enrollment matches the attendance on, on this day. So sending out an email like that is not, is not unusual. What makes it unusual, again, is according to this particular parent, they're saying that they're also administering shots that particular day. Again, very suspicious. Uh, we know that countless schools have been engaging in these shot programs with administering these biological weapons to as many people as they possibly can throughout the course of a school day, even without, I might add, 
setting up uh, very specific clinics or you know shot days on the weekends or whatever. I mean, they're just in many cases they're just doing it Monday through Friday. Um, so I don't know if they're related or not, but it's suspicious nonetheless. So with that said, um, here's the here's the last thing I wanted to cover. And again, this has to do with an update on the Crumbly situation regarding the Oxford, Michigan shooting. Uh, I, I continue to be perplexed, but I know I know the motivations behind it, and it's completely ridiculous. I I can't imagine anyone in a in an ethical court of law charging the Crumbly parents with a crime, uh, let alone convicting them as a result of their son taking their gun and then using it in school. Uh, what you're going to hear, of course, here in this Good Morning America update on this situation is they brought the crumbly parents back into court to essentially just lay out their case, uh, the, the prosecutor's case against them, I should say. And again, they're, they're just doing whatever they can to paint them as being 100% negligent all of the time. Uh, it 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 blows me away that they're the ones in shackles, and yet the principal is not in shackles. The counselor who sent the child back to school is not in shackles, and that the resource officers who were there and present, who may or may not have known about it, are not fired and or in shackles. It's the, it's really the people within the school building, at the time of the crime, and the time of the meeting initially with the crumbly parents and their child they're the ones that are responsible because it took place on school ground. Again, the parents did not know that the gun had been taken from them. Like I've said in the past, and it's on the record, at no point did anybody search the crumbly kid's belongings. So I'm not going to rehash all of it, but give this a listen. It's about five minutes long on a rundown of all of it, and it's just loaded with propaganda. And again, they're doing whatever they can to find a crime here. I don't think that there is one. Because keep in mind the larger picture here and the larger point of all of this is to prosecute any parent in the future for a crime that their child commits. It's that simple. In particular, if it's a gun-related issue um, or to push forth more gun control in the state of Michigan regarding keeping it locked within your own home. And if you don't, then you could be prosecuted. It's outrageous. The parents of that accused Michigan school shooter appeared in court facing charges in the deaths of the four students who were gunned down last fall. Prosecutors arguing the couple ignored warning signs that their son was dangerous. Will Reeve has the story. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Michael. While their son faces charges including murder and terrorism and is expected to plead guilty by reason of insanity, Jennifer and James Crumley face four charges of involuntary manslaughter. Prosecutors using records of text messages and eyewitness testimony to try to prove that their negligence contributed to tragedy. The parents of Ethan Crumley appearing in a Michigan court Tuesday after that Oxford High School shooting that killed four students last November. Prosecutors say Jennifer and James Crumley gave their son a firearm and repeatedly ignored warning signs. Investigators showing text messages Jennifer Crumley sent the day before the shooting, when Ethan got in trouble for looking up bullets on his phone during class. Jennifer texting with her 15-year-old son. Did you at least show them a pic of your new gun? And... Oh, well, I'm not mad. You have to learn not to get caught. The morning of the shooting, the Crumleys went to the school for a meeting with school officials. Prosecutors playing the 911 call James Crumley made just hours later. Jennifer's boss, Andrew Smith, testifying that the morning of the shooting, Jennifer told him she needed to get Ethan counseling. Jennifer allegedly screaming in the office as news of the shooting broke. Later, texting Smith, the gun is gone and so are the bullets. Adding, I need a lawyer. Ethan did it. And begging, I need my job. Please don't judge me for what my son did. I was surprised she was worried about her job at the time. I thought she'd be more worried about what was going on. Attorney Ven Johnson, representing three students' families, saying the hearing was like nothing he'd seen before. What you heard today was overwhelmingly how deeply disturbed Ethan Crumbly was for an extended period of time, he was crying for help for months, 
Chad Gregory's son Keegan was inside the school and saw his best friend Justin Schilling shot dead. He buries it. He knows it's a long road. And there's a bit of survivor guilt. You know, he really, really feels genuinely sad, as we do, for the kids that didn't come home. The Crumleys have denied any wrongdoing in this case. They say they properly secured the gun in their home and that they had no way of knowing their son would use it to shoot up his school and that they bear no responsibility for the shooting. Their next court appearance is scheduled for later this month. George. Okay, well, thanks. Let's bring in our chief legal analyst, Dan Abrams. So, Dan, right now the prosecution's job is to convince a judge to let this go to trial. Is it a high bar? Um, typically, it's not at all. I mean, it's probable cause. Typically, you view this as almost a rubber stamp uh, that the case is going to move forward. But this is a pretty unique legal theory here, holding the parents responsible for the actions of their child, involuntary manslaughter. So there is a real legal fight to be had. But I think based on the facts and based on the pressure that will be on this judge, I'd expect that he likely would allow the case to move forward. What's the parents' best argument to prevent it? I think it's that what you just heard Will talk about is the fact that the dad is basically saying, look, the minute I noticed my gun was gone, I'm calling 911, that this wasn't foreseeable. That's one of the, the critical legal arguments. There needs to be a level of foreseeability, not foreseeability that their kid could be in trouble, not foreseeability that their kid uh, m might do something silly, but really foreseeability of the responsibility of taking a life. Remember, when you're talking about involuntary manslaughter, you're saying that these parents are responsible for the deaths that were involved here. How damaging are the text messages? Very. I think if you were going to say to me, what's the most important testimony uh, or evidence for the prosecution here? It's the text messages. It's not what the parents did after the fact. Right. It's not the fact that the mother's talking about uh, wanting to keep her job, et cetera. It's what they didn't do beforehand. It's the fact that uh, she's uh, knows that her son is talking about the bullets and saying, don't get caught. There's this heartbreaking uh, text message where Ethan is texting that he thinks his house is haunted and he's seeing things in the house and the mom doesn't respond. And he says, you're not even going to respond to my texts. And so it's things like that. That if this case moves forward at trial, I think it'll be very difficult for the parents emotionally, putting aside the legal aspects of this, for the jury to hear that, I think is going to be problematic for the parents. Any chance the case is split, the mom goes to trial, but not the dad? It's possible, yeah. I mean, remember, these are two separate defendants, and there is a lot more evidence against the mom than against the dad. And there could be an argument from the dad's lawyer that basically says, look, you know, that's her. You got to focus on the evidence against me. And the judge could decide, yeah, there's enough against one, not against the other. Unlikely, but possible. Completely and utterly absurd. I don't know what else to say. I've used the example in the past of car keys in an automobile. A child steals the car keys from a parent, gets in the car, and goes and hits somebody, doesn't have their seatbelt on, and even injures themselves while trying to hurt somebody with their parents' car, and then you decide to blame the parents and prosecute the parents. It makes no sense. It's a complete show trial, and by the way, GMA's legal analyst is the host of those, uh, those jury shows and whatever, <laughs> whatever that other show is. Uh, it's ridiculous. It's like Live Cop or something like that. Um, it's not cops, but it's Live uh, 911 Live or Live 911. I don't know. I don't even know if he's a real lawyer. But uh, the entire thing is absolutely ridiculous. I can't, you know, the reason that this is going forward again is for corrupt means only. That's it. It's just corrupt means. All you'd have to do is ask any of the parents of the surviving children or even the children who are dead and say, okay, let's play a little game of role reversal. You have a gun, your child takes the gun out of your house, goes and kills people. Would you want to be in shackles and be prosecuted for the death of those individuals that your child killed? They would, of course, say that's completely ridiculous. They would say that's outrageous. The person who, who pulled the trigger is the person who is responsible. And that's it. But they're all looking for countless people to blame. 
And again, the motive here is much, much deeper and much more insidious. It has everything to do with gun control. It has everything to do with infringing on rights, uh, in particular in the state of Michigan. And if you've got a prosecutor in your back pocket and you've got judges in your back pocket, it's game over. As far as those text messages are concerned, please. When have you not returned uh, a text message from, from a family member before? Because what they texted you sounded absurd. So the crumbly kid says, you know, I'm hearing things, there's, there's, there's ghosts in our house, blah, 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 and then gets mad because the mom doesn't text back. Is that a crime? No, that's, a, <laughs> that's not a crime. Well, she sent him a Daffy Duck gif as a response with Daffy's bill spinning around his head like he's a crazy person. Um, that's clearly showing that the mother is mocking the mentally ill child. And uh, that would lead to the child shooting up the entire school. It's ridiculous. None of it makes any sense, except for the fact, again, that this entire thing is a show trial just to infringe on more rights. I really don't, you know, I'm repeating myself. I don't even know what else to say regarding it. So, yeah, there you go. I feel, I actually feel bad for the parents. I really do. They're, they're getting a horrible, horrible lesson in the corrupt nature of our legal system, which is not a legal system. It's just a corrupt establishment that has really always been this way, and it's just getting worse with time. But what I am going to do, given how, again, this is probably going to go to trial, which is, I think, an absolute abomination, um, I will cover portions of that trial, if not most of the trial, as it takes place. Because, again, it's pretty evident that the prosecution is just fishing. I'm not a lawyer. I don't have to be, but I know. I know word usage when I hear it, and that matters. And I know prosecutors and what they're trying to do clearly, because they don't want to lose, and they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the parents were actually responsible for the murder of those children, and they clearly were not. That's a that's a tall, yeah, that's a tall ladder to climb, I think, and and I don't think they have a chance. But again, you you get a corrupt jury, you get a corrupt judge. You know, only time will tell on that. But I do promise that, you know, when, if and when that trial ends up taking place, I fully intend on covering pieces of it, if not the entire thing. So, ladies and gentlemen, have a great weekend, and I'll catch you on Monday. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care, and God bless.